0: So, we continue our journey uh, investigating the mind and our relationship with the mind. Yesterday we talked about uh, how the mind can be the source of all our problems, but can be also the source of uh, our solutions. And uh, how the mind can be a horrible master but a very useful servant. And today we are going to explore a little bit more uh, the nature of the mind and how, how it happens that it can be the source of problems or the source of solution and so on. Uh, so we learned that uh, we can uh, that we have responsibility over the mind and the condition of the mind will determine the way we perceive reality and we said that this is something they never taught us that the connection between the state of the mind and how we perceive life, and uh, they didn't teach us because they didn't know it's okay, not their fault, uh, but it is a teaching that we need to to, to receive, and also they never taught us that uh, the mind is an instrument and that we have the responsibility to learn how to use it um, and we we never received uh, the manual of how to use the mind. And um, again, this is uh, something that uh, we should have received. But uh, they didn't know, so we didn't get it. And then there is another thing that uh, we were never taught. And uh, not only that we were never taught, we were taught the opposite. Uh, we were never taught that the mind... Uh, that. We and the mind are two different things. And we were taught completely the opposite. From very young age, we were taught that we are the mind. Uh, how we were taught that? For example, uh, when they told you, describe your qualities or who you are, then uh, what we describe, what they taught us to describe, was qualities of the mind. So we would say, oh, I'm shy or I'm optimistic or I'm like this, or like that, or I'm an angry person. Uh, they taught us from very young age that whatever we perceive in the mind, whatever there is in the mind, is us. And so you can see today, if you look at yourself and you just uh, describe yourself for a moment, you will see that what you are going to give as an answer is going to be all the qualities of your mind. You're going to say, I'm angry, I'm shy, I'm this or that. Um, And this is a completely wrong knowledge. In a moment we are going to see uh, how and uh, why. Um, And uh, because of this uh, wrong knowledge that we have about uh, who we are and what is the mind, and because we have this wrong identification with the qualities of the mind, there is a lot of uh, suffering in our life. And uh, the yoga says this is the source of all our suffering. The fact that we don't know who we are and the fact that we identify ourselves with our mind. It's interesting to note that uh, in the tradition in uh, India, uh, when they send a child to school, they would send him to a yogi, to a yoga teacher. This is in the tradition, of course, not now, but it used to be like this. And what the yoga teacher would teach this child is that he is not the mind. <laughs> he will teach the child that uh, he has responsibility over the, the mind, over the body. He, he would uh, get all the instructions of how to maintain well the body and the mind, how to use it, what it is meant for. All of this, this is what the child will, uh, will learn. And... Uh, He will get all the training and then um, at the age they would, uh, in the tradition the child would go and live with the teacher in his house and get all the teaching and take part of the life. And then at the age of 24 when the child is already has all the knowledge that he needs about who he is and what the mind is and has established the right relationship with the mind, then this child would go back to society and uh, learn something, I don't know, something to do, and um, get married and raise children and all of this. But uh, when, they already, when they went back to society, they already had all the knowledge necessary to live well, not to get confused, not to, um, they had all the abilities needed to handle the stress of uh, life. And uh, then they would uh, raise family in a very nice way. They will do all their duties to society. And then at the age of 60, they would uh, retire. They really have this really like a ceremony of uh, retiring, uh, passing on all the, the family business or whatever to the children. And then they will, will retire to continue their spiritual uh, journey. And uh, it's interesting to note what happens in the West, because we don't get this uh, information. About who we are and uh, what the mind is and how to use it properly and the responsibility we have over this system. Uh, People collapse with the responsibilities of life and I see many of them because they come to me for uh, treatment. Uh, They cannot handle the stress, they cannot handle the relationships, they cannot handle their own inner relationship with themselves and they become full of fear, full of depression, full of uh, criticism. And, uh, and the, or they cannot handle daily situations with the children or whatever in the job and then uh, they become a mess uh, but this is only is not because something is wrong with them or not because something is wrong with their mind, it is only because they never got the chance to receive the knowledge necessary to handle the life and the stress that comes with life uh, We went so far away from this uh, basic uh, truth of uh, this uh, relationship we have with the mind, or the mind being an instrument to serve us, that uh, the psychology and the psychiatry uh, world, they are so afraid of the mind. Uh, They taught us, and we all live it because we are there and we see it, that the mind is some kind of a monster, and it has like evil... Intentions and desires, uncontrolled desires, and ego that we have to kill. And all of this is bullshit. The mind is a wonderful, wonderful instrument, the best we have. Why it looks like a monster? It's only because it hasn't been trained well, it hasn't been maintained well. But it is not in the nature of the mind to give us all this problem. It is in the nature of the mind to be a very useful instrument. And um, a simple example of, uh, you know, we can say, we can take food. And food is something that is nourishing for us. But now if we abuse the food, if we eat too much, or too fast, or I don't know what, then we will suffer. But is it because the food is a monster that uh, it causes us to suffer? No, it was not the fault of the food. The food is something wonderful. It's here to nourish us. But when we don't treat it as we should, or we don't use it as we should use it, then it can become a source of suffering. The same is the mind. If it is a source of suffering for us, it's not because it's in the nature of the mind to be a source of suffering. The nature of the mind is to be the most valuable instrument we have in this life. Uh, But when we don't use it properly, then it becomes a source of suffering. And then what the psychology and psychiatry do, because they are so afraid of the mind, they try to sedate it, to put it to sleep with pills. And, uh, and, and then we see, we see how many people start to depend on pills, and these pills, they kill the mind. And these pills, we <coughs> give it to children of six year old, for them to be quiet in school, uh, but it's not, uh, and we are killing their most uh, valuable instrument instead of teaching them about their instrument. And for me, the first uh, class in first grade should be uh, uh, children, we are going to teach you about the mind and how to use it. And if we taught them how to, that they can move uh, attention from place to place and they can... uh, Put attention on the teacher, and if it goes away, they can bring it back to the teacher. Then there will not be all these uh, problems. But uh, we—it's like uh, we took a child. Imagine you take a child and you tie it to bed, and you don't ever let it uh, walk. And then you put it in the first grade, and or you release it from the bed, and you tell him walk. But it cannot walk because it was never given the opportunity to walk. It was never taught how to walk. Uh, So this is what we do with the children. We never teach them how to use attention. And on the opposite, we also, we always entertain their attention from outside, from a very young age, with the TV and the cell phones and all of this, all the time entertainment from outside. So, this muscle of attention was never developed and then we put them in the first grade and we say, this child has a problem, uh, a weakness, uh, or some mental problem. But it's not a mental problem, it's only that they were never given the opportunity to develop the abilities of the mind that they should have. Uh, So, we do it uh, with the pills, we kill these children. But then we kill also the mind of the adults. That uh, the moment uh, you go to the, you have some, uh, I don't know, sleeping problems or uh, anxiety or depression and you go to the psychologist or the, even the regular doctor and you tell him your symptoms and then he tells, okay, take these pills, it will make you feel better. But these pills, they only kill the mind. Uh, they don't improve anything and the people, they become dependent on these pills and these pills not only kill the man, mind but they poison the system they poison the liver they poison the kidneys they poison the blood everything uh, and then we see that uh, instead of improving during the life and becoming with more abilities and more capabilities <coughs> we become weaker and me- weaker and more dependent on external sources to pass the life and uh, probably you see it uh, with people around you. So uh, all this knowledge, this wrong knowledge that we got, uh, this is what makes it so difficult now to manage the mind. And it's not only that we have to learn new things or develop new abilities, it's only that we have to work ag- it's also that we have to work against the old knowledge that we have, because now we are so certain that we are the body and the mind. And we are so certain that whatever goes on in the mind indicates uh, our state of uh, being or indicates us. And it is, uh, we have to go uh, against this knowledge to even start to investigate something else. Uh, so many times in this process of learning it can be a little bit uh, difficult, but uh, the yoga is not only theoretical knowledge, it is uh, experimental. So during this day, we are going to experiment and to check, are we really different than the mind or who we are and what the mind is. And it is only after we see it for real, real, then uh, we will know that uh, we are different than the mind and then from there we can uh, act. Um, Um, but we started this process of uh, directing the mind and uh, I think already in this process we start to see that uh, the mind is something a little bit different than us because if I can move it, if I can decide to direct it towards one thing or if I can decide to just sit and view in you know, like uh, this wide awareness, then it means I have some control. Over this little monster (laughs) so uh, already now this is necessary for us to say okay there is something here that we can use it there is really this uh, indication little indication that this is kind of an instrument and now if we understand this now we can start to learn the nature of the mind Uh, like I can start to learn the nature of the car because I know it is different than me then I can look at the car from all directions and understand how it works. I can look at my cell phone and understand how it works. But uh, if we never have this little bit change of relationship with the mind, we will be very afraid to even look at what there is there. And probably you have maybe passed through this experience of not wanting to see some things that go on in the mind because, uh, you know, what does it say about you or how much... much, um, how many people have problems to meet uh, past uh, memories or traumas, what we call traumas, you know. They don't dare looking at there or to uh, see different uh, emotions or thoughts that we have in the mind. But uh, all of this is in the mind, and all of this is different than us from us, and we can check it, we can look at it. Um, so this is what we are going to do today, to start to look at how the mind works. Uh, Just like the horse, (laughs) uh, I can ride the horse, and when I ride the horse, (coughs) I work together with the horse, and I direct it, and there is this kind of relationship between us. But the horse has a whole uh, individual life, independent life, not connected to me. Whether I ride the horse or not, the horse exists. And it lives and it is, it has the life of its own and its own mechanism of how it is separate than me, Uh, separated from me. The same with the mind. The mind has its own mechanism, not connected to us. It has its own way that it functions when it is let alone. Just like the horse in the field. It doesn't depend on me for uh, being hungry and eating and doing all the stuff that it does. Only when I ride it, then I, I am in control and I decide for, you know, for the horse where, where it's going to go. But it has a life of its own, the same the mind. The mind has a life of its own, its own um, mechanism. And now we are going to investigate what is this mechanism. So uh, today in the practice, um, you already got the instructions to Sit and to look at what there is, this wide observation and to start to pay attention a little bit more to the uh, inner world that we can perceive and a little bit of the relationship between uh, the world and our inner the outside world and the inner world. Um, so maybe you have already started to notice that um, some of the qualities, some of the characteristics of the mind. Uh, for example, one uh, very obvious characteristic of the mind is that it is always moving, that it is always changing. Have you noticed this? Mm-hmm. That it is one moment you feel great because you think you succeed in the practice and then after a moment the knee starts to pain and then you start to straddle a lot and then suddenly some memory comes up and you become sad or then you some smell from the kitchen and you start to think, oh, what's for lunch? And, <laughs> and then... Uh, This is one characteristic of the mind. It is all the time going to change. We cannot, uh, it's all the time changing. It is in the nature of the mind to change. There is no stability of the mind, in the mind. There is no one state of mind that we can, uh, that we can uh, keep stable. And uh, when in our daily life, do we live like this? with this knowledge about the mind. And if you check, you will see that not at all, <laughs> that all of us during this life, we try to keep the mind on one state of mind, and a very particular one on a nice one, <laughs> on a happy one, on a satisfied one. And all the time, this is what we, we try to achieve in life, the good feeling. you know. And then when we reach some nice feeling, we say, oh, we have made it, we have reached the goal of our life, But then what always happens? Always it changes. You know, it's one phone call from my mother, or uh, I don't know, some exam I couldn't make, or some annoying remark from a friend or from my boss, and all this nice feeling that I had collapses in a moment. Eh? So uh, why to continue living our life trying to reach a goal that is not possible? It is not possible to stop the mind on one state. It is never going to stop not on a happy state and not on a sad state. None of them is going to stay forever. It is not going to stay in uh, happiness and not in depression. It is not going to continue. How many times when we are in depression, we think this is going to stay forever? Not one person stayed in depression forever. It is not possible. It is a state of mind and it is going to change. But because we, don't, we have never Uh, Told this we never received the tools to experience this Um, We think that there is something stable in the mind. So if we go to this question uh, Do we need to tame the mind to think in directions that are uh, nice to us or pleasant? Of course no point in that because doesn't matter how many times I will train the mind to have positive thoughts What can we know for sure? These positive thoughts, in a moment they can change and they will change. They will never stay. Uh, So just take a moment to think of your life. How many actions you are doing to try to achieve some nice feeling? And why you can never stop these actions? Hmm? Why do you have to always try the next thing? You know, you fall in love and you say, oh, now I'm, I'm satisfied. How long did it last, this satisfaction? And then you have to look for the next one. Then, okay, not this pattern, then the next one, then the next one. And all the time, the next thing that will make you feel good. So, basically, this uh, uh, search for a constant feeling of well-being puts us in all the time in an endless uh, need to act. Because All our actions are based or are there to make us feel good. And all the time it goes away, so all the time we have to act again. So we are in this endless cycle of action and feeling and action and feeling. And all the time we look for the next thing that will make us feel better, you will never find it. You will find it for a temporary period, yeah. For some time I can feel nice. But in a moment, no, it's like the like the dinner here. Yeah, it's wonderful. But then, when we eat too much, in a moment it uh, goes to, oh, I have eaten too much again. You know, so it, I was feeling wonderful five minutes ago, and now I feel horrible. Uh, so this will always be, and I invite you to start to see these uh, changes. And we're going to see it also, of course, in the practice for live, for real, because we have to have this uh, insight from our own experience, not just because I'm talking all this stuff here. So, uh, one thing of the mind is that it's always going to change and we can never hold something constant there. And then when we look further into the, we can say, automatic function of the mind or its independent way of how it functions, uh, it has a very nice, very... Simple but sophisticated uh, mechanism. Uh, when let alone, the mind has a responsibility to maintain the life of this creature, of this human being. Okay? It's like the headquarters and it is there to maintain the life. And to maintain the life, it has a very simple mechanism that says, whatever... Um, the mind identifies and then identifies as supporting the system the life of the system doesn't matter if it's the physical life or the emotional life but whatever it identifies as supporting the system it will always try to get always always and then whatever the mind identifies as being harmful for the system whether it is harmful for the body or the emotional or mental um, system it will try to avoid and then you can see it very clearly in your life for example uh, if you think the uh, apple is good for your uh, system is supporting your life you will always try to achieve to get an apple it doesn't mean that you will eat apples all the time but when you will see an apple the mind will automatically reach for it because it, uh, it supports your system. How is this m- movement or, um, towards the apple? Uh, how does it happen? When uh, you see an apple, there is a feeling of expansion inside of you or the, the system expands. When the system expands, it expands, we can say, all over, like the physical and the mental, everything is uh, expand. Expands, we can, we will uh, check it also in our practice. And then uh, the blood flows, everything uh, works very well. And naturally, we will, uh, um, there will be desire for the apple. And this desire will cause us to uh, take the hand, to reach the hand and uh, take the apple. And then, uh, if there is something that we identify as maybe harmful for the system, uh, for example, a snake. Most of us have the idea that the snake is dangerous and can hurt us. Then the moment you see a snake, you imagine what is happening in your system. Can you imagine? Immediately contraction. Immediately. You just see the shape of the snake. Immediately contraction. And this contraction, what does it do to the system? Immediately it stops the, the movement. It freezes the system. Everything, all the blood vessels, they contract. The mind contracts. Everything contracts and then uh, automatically the movement stops to avoid the snake and then we can turn around and go or we can pass it. But we will not reach for it. Why we are not going to reach for it? Hmm? Because we know it is harmful for us. But who is going to reach for a snake? Hmm? Think about it. Have you ever seen a person reaching for a snake? Is it possible? Of course. Who? Only the person that has the knowledge that that the snake is not dangerous dangerous for him. Okay? Then he will be able to reach for the snake. But as long as we have the idea that the snake is dangerous, is harmful for our life, then we will avoid. This is the automatic mechanism of the mind. It works in all people the same. And not in all, only in people. It works in animals the same. <coughs> when an am- you- Sometimes it's nice to to see it, uh, to play with an ant or some little insect that we usually think they don't have a very developed mind or something. And you will see the moment you start to, I don't know, play with your finger nearby, what do they do? Immediately they go away. eh? They start to run away. You can see the same mechanism of trying to avoid some kind of danger. But then you put some uh, sugar for them. And what do they do? they start to investigate and they come for the sugar because they identify it as good for the system. So we are no different than any insect or any other animal. And the plants the same. What do they do? When they identify something that is good for them, like the sun, they will reach for that, to take it because they know it's nourishing. But if there will be something that is bad for them, they will shrink, you know, trying to avoid it as much as they can because their movement is a little bit more limited. So, the mind has this uh, wonderful, very simple mechanism uh, there to support the life. And when we let the mind alone, it will do, this mechanism will work. But many times, this mechanism is not useful. In situations when they are not uh, life supporting or life threatening, this mechanism can become a problem for us. Simple example. Cigarettes. Yeah? Uh, all of us know that cigarettes are harmful. Yeah? But still people reach for a cigarette. All the smokers or ex-smokers, they know this, that when they see, they cannot but you know, reach for it. Uh, how is it possible huh, that we reach for a cigarette although we know it is harmful for the life? Because it serves another purpose of... Uh, this uh, um, supporting our, uh, you know, our uh, mental or uh, emotional life because it's relaxing or because it <coughs> helps us to communicate in the society yeah, because it's part of this uh, social interaction or whatever or how is it that we eat too much? Yeah, we know it's not good for us, but it feeds our senses, you know, our craving. So many times there is a difference between uh, what is good for us actually, what supports the life actually, and what we do and the same with uh, things that we avoid, for example, we all know that, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes a day of practice, some movement to the body and some meditation is good for us, yeah, of course we, we, we understand it, that we are going to feel better if we do that but uh, do we always manage to do it? many times not Because when we think about now uh, stopping everything and putting the mattress and getting on the mattress, there is contraction in us because it takes effort. And then because of this contraction, we avoid something that is actually quite good for us. Um, And in these situations, there we want to bypass the automatic functioning of the mind. There we want to intervene and say, there should be here a responsible adult (laughs) that will tell the mind, although you really want this cigarette, this cigarette is not good for us. And although you really don't want to practice, this practice is good for us. And then we can go for it. And we can avoid the cigarette and we can do the practice. Uh, And then we can ask, okay, to do this, what do we need? in order to be able to avoid the cigarette, in order to be able to wake up and do a 10-minute practice, although we really don't want to do it. What is needed? Needed this? what we have done here in these days, to build our mastery over the mind, to build another, a different relationship with the mind, where we become the bosses and the mind becomes the servant. and as a servant the mind will make it possible for us to avoid the cigarette, but it's only if we command it from from us it's only if we give the command to avoid the cigarette then the mind will help us to do it, it will bring the hand back to and stop the reaching for the cigarette but it needs to get this command and uh, it is only when there is a command from above to the mind to tell him but we wake up we are going to get out of bed now early and we're going to do this 10 minutes practice although we really want to go to the phone and check the emails no we're going to do first the practice and if we get uh, if we send this command then the mind will be a very useful servant because it will help us to put the mattress and it will uh, direct our movements and then we can do it so It is only about changing the relationship with the mind. Um, And we have to say that it's not always, it's not 24 hours a day that we have to control the mind. Because many times I can let the mind, like the horse, just be. You know, just uh, do your usual stuff, you know, contract, expand, desire, not do all these things. Um, But in the places where it's not useful for the life, where it's not the automatic uh, behavior or the automatic uh, actions that the mind creates are not supporting the life, there we want to intervene. There we want to be the masters and to be able to use the mind to uh, continue doing useful actions that will support our existence instead of uh, letting it uh, destroy us. Uh, the more we let the mind decide for us, the more we let the mind be the master. Uh, the more we uh, suffer, and we can see it. Um, we with these uh, sentences that we say that uh, we become helpless. You know, you you know these uh, periods in the life that we feel that uh, we are like uh, drowning or we we are helpless in front of the mind or, uh, mm, yes, yeah, that we have, uh, that we feel very weak, that we are not capable. Yeah, this will always be when we let the mind rule everything for us to decide what we eat, what we drink, what we smoke, uh, well, how we talk. If the mind decides this, we will feel, we will not be satisfied with it. We will eventually, we will feel that, uh, There is something there that we are missing, you know, that we are drowning, that we are uh, becoming really weak. And I hear it from many people. And always when they tell me the story of their life, they will see that all their life is uh, decided by the mind. And of course they will feel like this. But then it's only a matter of training, very simple training to change the relationship. And the moment we change the relationship, then we will feel the strength. We will feel what we really can do. We can really become the masters of the mind and the mind can be can really become a very useful tool for us. Um, so, the mechanism, the natural mechanism of the mind, um, um, of this uh, supporting the life automatically, but we have to see that really it supports the life and doesn't harm it. There is another very interesting thing about the mind. <laughs> the mind makes noise, noises, when it works. <laughs> like anything else, you know, our body makes noises when it works. Uh, the horse makes noises. The engine of the car makes noises. Okay, it's part of the things. When things work, the kitchen makes noises. It only mean, means the things are alive. You know, when something is there, it makes a noise when it functions. Only a dead body doesn't make a noise. So, or sound, I would say, not noise, sounds. So, things, living things make sounds, create sounds. And the mind, when it works, create sounds. What are the sounds of the mind? The sounds of the mind are what we call thoughts and emotions. The sound of the mind is all the things that we don't choose. Simple example. When we use a car, the engine makes noises or sounds. Do you choose the sound of the engine? No, you don't choose the sound of the engine. It is from the fact that the engine is working then it, that it makes a sound. Uh, that engine doesn't make a sound. but the moment the engine is turned on, it starts to make a sound only indicating that the engine is working. But it's not why we use the car. It's not that we choose to turn the engine on to listen to the sound of the engine. What we choose is to drive a car, to take us where we want. This is the choice. But the sound sounds that the engine makes, this is only like a indication that it works but it's like a, a byproduct it's not the purpose of the car to make sound okay? it's a, a trumpet yeah. the purpose of the trumpet is to make sound but not the purpose of an engine of the car the purpose of the car is to take us where we want the same goes with the mind the, mind, the purpose of the mind is to take us where we want is to support the life and to help us achieve all the good that we want But when the mind is on, it makes sounds in the form of thoughts and feelings. And then if you ask yourself, do I choose my thoughts and my feelings? Hmm? What will be the answer? You will see that you don't choose them. They are byproducts of the fact that the mind is on. And the best example is the moment you wake up in the morning. Hmm? Because in the night, it's like the mind is on, off. Okay, only very little functions like in the computers. They still continue because we still calculate the time inside and there are still some things happening, but mostly the mind is off. And then what happens the moment we open our eyes? You notice? Immediately starts the noise of the mind, the sound of the mind with a lot of thoughts and emotions. Immediately the moment we wake up and open our eyes. And then if you ask yourself in that moment, do I choose to feel this? Or do I choose to think this, what is the answer? No, it was not at all my choice. I only chose to put alarm clock and wake up when the alarm goes on. But all this racing of the thoughts in the morning, I don't choose them. I don't choose the, the content of the thoughts or the content of the feelings. I don't choose to wake up depressed or to think, oh, what's the purpose of another day or I don't whatever it is that we have in the morning, <laughs> all of us pretty much the same. Or, yeah, but it's not our choice. It only indicates that the mind turned on, and this is uh, the the sound it makes. And if the mind didn't well, didn't turn on, like didn't start to function, then all these thoughts and feelings they will not start. For example, if you're dead in the morning, <laughs> it's not going to start all these sounds. They are going to start only if the mind wakes up. Uh, And then, the same we can see during the day. If you check all the things that you feel, and all the things that you think during the day, and for example, during the meditation, how many thoughts and feelings are there? And if you ask yourself, did I choose to feel it? Or did I choose to think it? What will be the answer? No, I didn't. It just suddenly came up. You know, suddenly I feel sad. Suddenly I feel depressed. Suddenly I feel happy. I didn't choose it. They just come up. I didn't choose to self-criticize myself all the time or to be afraid Or it. It just comes up. But another very wrong knowledge we got from our education is That what we think and what we feel is the most important thing in life and (laughs) If you look you will see people telling their life. What do they tell? They tell what they feel and what they think. You sit with a friend. What, are you, what is she going to tell you? Oh, yesterday I felt this and this and this and now I feel like this and like this and I think like this and like this. But all these things are not even our choices to think or to feel. And we think that this is our life and we think that this indicates the quality of our life. And then if we have very nice feelings and thoughts, we think everything is okay with us. And if we have horrible feelings and thoughts, we think everything is wrong uh, with us. But none of this indicates about us. It only indicates about what kind of noise the mind is making, what kind of sound the mind is making. Uh, Many times when I say this to people, they become very defensive with the thoughts and the feelings because we appreciate them so much. But when we check, we will see they are only byproducts. There are nothing in them to indicate the quality of your life. You want something to indicate the quality of your life? Is the condition of your body. This will determine the quality of your life, not what you think of your body, but what it can do. If it can reach and take something, or you can bend, or you can run, or you can walk, this will indicate the quality of your life, but not what you think of your body. Uh, the quality of your life will be determined by the quality of your mind, how you can use it. And if you can use it well to, to achieve, to do the actions that you want, this will determine the quality of your life. If you are free to act in the world, this will determine the quality of your life. But what you think about yourself or about others, or what you feel during the process, is completely, completely not important. It is only a byproduct of the working of the mind. But if you will see where were your efforts all the time is to think something specific or to feel some certain feelings, but we don't have a choice there. What we feel and what we think is a result of all our past experiences. For example, you see a dog. What are you going to feel huh, about the dog? One person will say, Oh what a wonderful dog and another person will say, Oh no a dog and will run away. Who chose? Huh? None of them chose to feel, not the person that likes the dog. He didn't choose to feel disliking towards a dog. Why does he feel that he likes the dog? Because of his past experiences. Because he grew up with dogs, because he has very nice experiences with dogs, because he think because he was taught that dogs are friendly, and Now this is what he feels when he sees a dog. And then the person that is afraid of the dog, did he choose to be afraid? Not at all. Maybe he grew up in a house with parents that were afraid of dogs. And he was told that a dog is some, I don't know, horrible animal. Or he was bitten by a dog. I had a very nice experience. One student in Israel, she was very friendly with dogs. And then she one day she went for a walk in the village where my studio is, and she got bitten by a dog. And then the next time she came to the village and a dog came, what was her uh, uh, experience or what was her feeling? Fear. And she was shocked, but she knew this knowledge, so she used it to look and she said, amazing how it changed. For two years she's been coming to this uh, village, seeing the dogs, always happy. And now because of one experience, she sees the dog and fear comes instead of happiness. She didn't choose not the happiness and not the fear. All what we feel is the only result of our past experience. How much control did you have over your past experiences? Hmm? Did you choose to be born in the family you were born? In the society you were born? Hmm? None of this we chose. And all of this now determines what we feel and what we think. And we think it's important, but it's not. It only tells our past. It says nothing about us, nothing about our present nothing about of our future if we know not to act according to that. If we can see that it is only the sound of the engine. So when we know these things about the mind, how it works, uh, the nature of it, the natural nature of it, how it is when we are not involved with it, then we can finally let it be. <coughs> it means that finally we can allow our, ourselves to feel everything because it doesn't say anything about us, it only says thing about uh, our past. So this uh, fight with what we feel and what we think, first of all, we can stop it. We can finally feel everything, depression, anxiety, fear, shyness, jealousy, anger, all of it we can freely feel. We can uh, freely uh, feel contraction, an expansion desire and aversion and I can I don't mind I can uh, desire many things and I can dislike many things I can freely feel all of this but what we are going to do is to decide our actions I'm not going to let the mind decide my actions in places where it's not where it's not useful for example When I see a snake and I have fear and I stop, this is very useful. I'm not going to fight the mind there. I'm going to tell, her, oh, thank you that you made me stop. Let's turn around and go. But if I feel fear when I have to present some, I don't know, my final uh, presentation in school and I feel fear, if I act according to what the mind directs me to do, I will uh, turn around and I will go and I will never do the presentation. Here I want to be the master of the mind and say, I can see the fear. I can see that I really don't want to do this presentation, but what is my purpose? My purpose is to finish my schooling, my degree or whatever. And then I'm going to present it together with the fear. But most of the people, what are they trying to do? They try to stop the fear. Yeah? Because we think we have to be brave or if we fear we cannot act. But... If we are the masters of the mind we will realize that doesn't matter what we feel we can feel everything but we can act according to what is useful Um, so uh, for today I really invite you to come to the next practice because we are going to check all the things that we have talked here to see it for real and uh, then for tomorrow we are going now we have to ask okay so as masters of the mind How are we going to act in life? How are we going to know what is the useful action? And then we will have the complete uh, way of yoga. And the moment we change our actions, if we start to do useful actions in our life, then we will get the fruits of these actions. But as long as we allow the mind to continue governing our actions, we will see that many times we do unuseful actions in relationship, in work, in... With ourselves, with whatever, and then we pay the price. All right. Okay. So we finish here. So let's uh, sit for a moment. Okay. So first, let, um, let's make a little mental note to during the day to watch the mind and this mechanism of the mind, how it always wants something and there is expansion and then it wants it and to get it. And then when there is contraction, immediately it wants to avoid and try to see it during the day. So make a little note, mental note to watch it. And then we can bring our palms together. And we can say thank you for the pleasure of practicing and studying together and may the result of this talk be for the benefit of all creation. Thank you.